Sunglasses or no sunglasses? Yeah, we got a lot of questions about sunglasses. Hi, I'm George Tekmichov here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson, back for another Easton podcast, which Jay knows the number of, but we don't. And Steve, they rather jet lagged Steve, is back from quite a bit of time on the road. Why don't you recap for us where you've been? I was in Rome. That's in Italy. Um, As opposed to Rome, New York. Or Rome, Georgia. Rome, New York, home of Griffiths Air Force Base at one time. A lot of Romes. Yeah. Rome if you want to. Never mind. (laughs) Moving on. So you were in Rome. Where were you just before that? You were at Nationals? Uh, I don't remember. You were at Nationals? No, I was in San Diego. You were in San Diego. SoCal shootdown. Shootout. Yep. How'd that go? Um, it was, uh, it was pretty bad. Yeah. I shot the wrong target. My first, uh, my first match and, um, cost myself a lot of money. So that's a bummer, man. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we'll just slide on by on that one. Congratulations. Thanks for asking. Congratulations on your first world cup final. Uh, Thank you. And on your bronze medal at that world cup final. Yeah. Uh, your opponent was whom? Uh, it was, uh, Demir Elma Achili. Okay. Elmo. And so um, Demir from Turkey uh, taking fourth at that World Cup. And then we had the redoubtable Braden Galantine taking the gold medal over Stefan Hansen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Braden's shooting better than anyone right now. Well, he's in a good place mentally, I think. He comes across across that way anyway. Yeah, it could be. We'll be talking to him a little while. Yeah, Braden's going to be on the show. Yeah, so looking forward to that. So, uh, Steve, uh, usual large number of questions. We'll just jump right into that. No, this is an unusual number of questions. We've got a lot of questions. You got a I lot think of we questions. need to approach this with the uh, pardon the interruption method where we have one minute on each question. All right. I don't have a problem with that. That'll I keep will the... start a timer. All right. That'll keep the uh, show. It's 35 minutes. It'll keep questions. the show at a reasonable length. I, I, first off, thank you to everybody who wrote in on our Facebook with questions for Steve and uh, maybe yeah, one or sorry two for me. Yeah, sorry if I'm complaining. So, really grateful to our listeners for... Throwing a fit about it. Well, that's just your way, especially when you're cranky from no sleep or whatever you're dealing with. But, uh, you know, everybody's got... A lot, there's a lot of congratulations here for you and and you're, you earned it, brother. You, uh, you did well. I lost. That's the thing about bronze. If you, uh, if you take bronze, you're a loser. Actually, I think there's more pressure in a bronze medal match than the gold medal match from what little experience I have in this area. No doubt there is. But when people say, you know, oh, you won bronze, I think, no, I, I, I took the bronze medal. But I didn't win anything. I'm not going to argue because yeah. I understand your point of view. There's I, a mental, there's mental aspect to feeling like a winner and understanding that because you lost doesn't mean you're a loser. I, you're I totally a loser if you're happy with bronze i'm not going to argue your point because i understand what you're getting at especially in about six weeks you're going to be at the world championship and you need to get your mental game where you want it to be let's talk about that a little bit before i'm going to take back what i just said go ahead you're not a loser if you're happy with bronze sometimes you can be happy with it you're a loser if you're satisfied with it now in your process of parsing that did you decide that was too harsh on people who are happy with bronze medals no no i i uh i made this decision long ago like I, w- I was happy to to have uh, won bronze. Okay. One bronze. Okay. Right. Take happy to have taken the bronze medal. To have had the bronze medal put around your neck. Yes. I guess you'd call it winning bronze, whatever. Um, yeah, I was happy to have that because you could 
easily go home with with nothing, which is the cruelty of fourth place. But, you know, I also realized that I am a loser in this scenario. I lost. And uh, I'm not a loser overall because I'm not satisfied with the bronze. You know, I've been in fourth place at a couple of important tournaments, and I've won a couple of important tournaments. Losing sucks. Yeah. So I get it. I totally get it. And I don't blame you for your for your point of view regarding this because I think uh, part of what makes you a champion is that attitude and um, you know being able to back up that attitude. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people in this world who, in this archery world, who uh, would be totally happy taking second and third all the time. You know, and they'd yeah. be satisfied. Yeah. Satisfied, I should say. No, I need to clarify my terms. Happy, okay. Satisfied, not okay. I, well, if you want to really truly make it to the top, you can't be satisfied with second. I totally agree with that. Right. Then if you make hand, it to the top, unless you were perfect in that round, maybe you shouldn't be satisfied with yeah, that. In either. some sports, I mean, archery is one of those sports. You could, in theory, you could be the archer of the year with without a single win. Uh, yeah, it happened. Uh, happens in a number of organizations. Shooter of the year. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like a decathlon. You don't have to win anything. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about the late great Nikki Hayden in MotoGP. Right, Nikki uh, won the 2006 World Championship. I don't know how many podiums. Yeah, I don't know how many top step podiums he had that year. I don't think any. He was just very consistent. Very consistent. Yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of podiums, but not necessarily the top step. And that's been a bit of of my story this year. Um, I'm happy with it, but I'm not satisfied with it. No. Because but, I'm not a loser. Right. I get it. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, then. Where were we? Questions. Russ is, uh, congratulations to Steve on his year in archery competitions. Russ says, I'm sure I should get some Starting credit. the timer. I'm sure I should get some credit for helping him somehow in his formative years at the Nampa Bow Chiefs range in Idaho. So his question is on veins for indoor. Please talk about hard and soft veins and how us average archers can tell the difference and determine which would be best for each of us. I will start the timer after the question is asked. Okay, well, go ahead. Clock is running. Um, well, you know, there is that uh, difference in opinion where some people think the floppy vein functions more like a feather, maybe steers a little better. Rio is an exponent. Yeah, of that he idea. likes the real soft. Uh, Flex fletch. He was version. getting flex fletch to pick out the ones that weren't in spec that were soft. You yeah, know, they, they cured funny or whatever, and he was getting them to to send him those. I don't know if that's still the case. We're we're not going to make this one minute timer. I'm just going to stop it. I'm going to stop the timer. Okay. Yeah, there's uh, there's some that believe that, and that's that's probably the the best way to approach it. Although, um, you know, especially for indoors, I would say because you you want to create that drag on the big arrow. And, so why the heck not just use feathers? Because they're not durable. Indoors. You're not shooting in the rain. Right. But have you ever shot a set of feathers for a year and looked yes, at them? I have. I have too, and they're, they're not they're not. Well, maybe fresh. feathers aren't what they used to be. You see, maybe I, not. <laughs> my coach made me a set of 2114s with actual, honest-to-goodness, barred turkey fletching from real, honest-to-goodness turkeys, and they lasted 20 years shooting at a three-spot target. But I think I understand your point that they're not as durable. I'm going to stop the podcast for a minute here. There's a guy outside who is riding around on some type of a riding lawnmower device that's also a giant leaf blower, and he's just blowing stuff from one area to another. Did he's, it just get not, all over your truck? 
He's he did. Yeah, he's not picking anything up. Nothing is being oh, no. fixed here. It's just I see it. Not that guy. Oh, different the other guy. One. He he went by already. Just so everybody knows, the tableau here at Why? Easton. We're in a big room with a big window, very big window, overlooking the Wasatch Front, the beautiful mountain range, which is half obscured by forest fires right now because we have a smoking a smoke situation out there in the atmosphere. And uh, and Steve just had a squirrel moment. Why would they? I don't understand the leaf blower entirely. Why not a leaf vacuum? I totally agree with what's you. What's he doing with the leaf blower the other, right now? Were you with us the other day when we went to lunch and the yeah. guy started, he cut the grass and then he starts blowing the grass around. What was the point of that? I don't get it. You're just, you're, you're literally moving a mess from one area to another area and apparently you're okay with that area. I'm thinking this is a serious He's, first world problem. Well, there's someone who is not happy, but they are satisfied. Because? Because they don't care. He's just moving the leaves from one spot to another. Hmm. Yes. Actually, this may have turned out to be more profound than you intended. Well, primarily he blew dust all over my truck that I washed yesterday. <laughs> Which is what got your attention in the first place. I get it now. Oh, well. Okay, moving on. As my friends in Japan like to say, skatakanaina. All right. David, uh, did we finish the... Uh, no, we didn't. No. Yeah, to Russ, uh, you know, if you're going to find a difference in these, it's going to be in the shooting. What I've noticed is between most adequately sized veins whether they're floppy or stiff you're not going to really tell much of a difference okay as long as the size is right yeah but if you can find some i mean i wouldn't go for something that's super rigid i, I do think the the softer the better for indoors yeah for indoors david says congratulations on your finish what a great year you've had not over yet still got worlds ahead but thank you david two-part question from david he says uh he knows what foc is but do we find it, and uh, how do you find it? And once you find it, what does it help with? Okay, so first off. He's looking is, for a calculation. What is FOC? Well, FOC is the percentage in front of the center at which you find the balance point. So let's say you have a 30-inch arrow, and the center of the arrow is at 15 inches. And the arrow balances two inches ahead of that center. Take that, divide it by the length, and you have your front of center balance. So that's a simple way. What does that all mean? It means nothing. Well, that's the point. As long as you've got something ahead of the center, the arrow will be stable aerodynamically. If, if balance point is behind the center, you could have a problem. But if the uh, balance point is ahead of the center and the center of pressure of the arrow caused by the veins while the arrow is flying is obviously way behind center you're going to have yourself a stable arrow now the question is that comes up what happens when you're shooting and the uh, wind is blowing up to a certain amount more front of center balance can be a good thing and less may not be a good thing if you have too light of an arrow but the real answer is just put the recommended point weight on there that the manufacturers, all of them, recommend, and you're going to end up with a usable front of center balance. Too many people worry about this and, and agonize over it, which is why I have the old slightly salty joke, FOC actually stands for effing overcomplicated, but we're not going to. I don't know the percentage, the, the calculation of anything. Hey, if it's I've somewhere between 11% and 16%, you're good. I'm not sure I've even got 11%. 
at my uh, arrow length. I'm not sure I'm there. You know, I, I liken this a little bit to guys who worry about how much air pressure they have in their front tire versus their rear tires. You know, that kind of thing. A couple pounds difference is fine. Hmm. Having a, you know, having a, a 11% to 16% front of center balance is fine. You don't have to worry about it. So, um, and so David, thank you for your very kind comments. We really appreciate it. You're just, you're Here comes my guy again. What is he doing? He's blowing more stuff Look on your this. truck. Look at this. It's a beautiful day in Salt Lake He's City, by the way. He's blowing leaves from the gutter back onto the grass where presumably- That's they'll awesome. Be, presumably they will be picked up by a- By the wind uh, By a, a, a lawnmower maybe, but I don't know if they bag this grass. What's he really doing? I Well, he's, he's doing his thing. He's man. blowing rocks probably all over my paint job right now. It's a truck. And it's an aluminum truck, so it's not going to rust. Yeah. Right? This is, a, this is fascinating, this machine he's yeah. in. I wish everybody could see this. I wish you were as interested in this podcast as, as you are in watching this guy running around blowing leaves all over the place. <laughs> People will probably think this is interesting too. Nah, I don't think so. I would have tuned out long ago, but for the rest of you, thanks for hanging in there. Our friend Steve Yee has an informal poll question, which we opened the show with. Sunglasses or no sunglasses? I uh, So far in my life, I'm a no sunglass guy, but I'd, it would require a specialized glass, I, I like a, a pilla, to, uh, and I've never even really tried shooting with one on, to uh, see over, see the peep still through over the bridge of my nose. Some people, you know, really turn their head into anchor and they can wear just a standard pair of glasses, but I'm, I'm not one of those. So Butch Johnson used to use uh, Oakley M frames, mm-hmm. you know, which are yep. pretty popular in a lot of different arenas. And he'd pull the nose section out mm-hmm. and have the lens sit right on his nose. Yeah. Which is uh, basically what a pillow does. Yeah, it's exactly what a pillow does. And um, Butch did that, you know, 25 years ago and made it work. Um, you know, my, my thing is when I'm trying to do something and really see clearly what I'm doing you know, say I'm working on uh, assembling something and I've got safety glasses on and I'm down into the, the finer points of whatever I'm doing what's the first thing you usually do you usually take the glasses off so you can see a little clear so I don't know maybe maybe the I'm missing something not shooting the the pillows that can you know change the uh, appearance of a target I I'd probably need to try them but at this point uh, I'm not going to. I did a lot of work on this back, um, going back years. And um, I can tell you that it depends on a couple of things. It depends on the accuracy of the lens. Mm-hmm. For me, Oakley's always worked pretty well because they had pretty good spherical accuracy. Um, I shot for a while in a pair of uh, glasses made by a company called Silhouette, which basically has a titanium wire, super thin frame, floating lenses, and almost no nose piece and it worked really well for me in bright sunny conditions um i will say this you don't see too many of the korean women shooting in sunglasses never seen it never right. seen a korean other than maybe im dong hyun wear glasses yeah mr im does wear glasses i've occasionally seen sunglasses su- sunglasses. sunglasses yeah yes i have occasionally seen ojin hyuk shooting in sunglasses takaharu furukawa from japan Frequently shoots. Yeah, a lot of the recurvers wear sunglasses. Right, but 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 Furukawa's glasses, I'm pretty sure, are prescription. His mm. uh, his sunglasses are. Yeah. So 
the answer is going to be, as much as anything else, personal preference. From an eye health standpoint, yeah, sunglasses while you're walking to and from the target at least. And certainly protect you in case somebody pulls non, an arrow in here. Non-polarized, ear. right? You don't want to wear polarized because it can change the the, uh, the pupil a bit. Yeah. Between taking them on and putting them on. I never thought about that, but I suppose I'm, you're right. I'm told it dilates. Well, I'm pretty sure that any darker lens is going to dilate it anyway. But, you know, we're not opticians. But... Or ophthalmologists, for that matter. But uh, and we don't play any on TV either. But I will say that um, you know I prefer having some. Now you know in my other sport, um, you have to have eye protection. You know for for action pistol for for competition, and or for practice. And um, I've found I've gravitated to a photochromic lens for for outdoor pistol competition because it'll it'll adjust itself mm. with the conditions, and that can be handy. For archery, I'm not sure that's such a great idea. You know, one or the other, but not both. How's that? Yeah, they they were uh, focusing on them at, at the World Cup final, not because they were glasses, but because you could see the you know the shots, it was a cool the reflections. Image. Yeah, yeah, and it was cool. There was one of John Charles shooting, and I didn't know what I was looking at at first until they you know panned or until I caught his his just a snippet of his face in the in the frame, but. Uh, yeah, interesting. My good friend Simon Fairweather um, was on the front page of the Sydney, I'm pretty sure it was the Morning Herald. Everybody in Oz is throwing Tim Tams at the speaker right now, if I got it wrong. But uh, there was a great shot of Simon, and it was a tight shot of his face. And he was wearing, uh, I think, Adidas or Boles. I think he wears Boles now. He was wearing Adidas sunglasses back then. And it was just a great image of a target reflected in his uh in his glasses, you know, kind of an iconic looking shot. So that was right. pretty cool right after he'd won the Olympics. Um, so Steve, hopefully that, uh, that helps you. Um, uh, I personally like wearing, um, eye protection when shooting either a bow or anything else. And Steve, you know, who's fair skinned blue eyed guy who you'd think might need to be wearing some, some sunglasses, um, doesn't wear them when he's shooting. So there you go. Uh, Shannon Turner, uh, is blessed or maybe cursed with a 32-inch draw length. And so, Steve, as you know, that uh, Shannon's pointing out, that somewhat limits your arrow and spine selection options. After experimenting with a few different spines, uh, Shannon has found that in several cases, he's actually getting better grouping from a slightly weak arrow. Um, weaker than so-called properly spined. He's also heard Jesse Broadwater talk about some slightly weaker spines grouping well for him as well. So, any conclusive data indicate that being on the weak side or stiff side is better for accuracy or purely an individual setup dependent situation. And congratulations on your awesome year, Steve. I don't think anybody, well, thank you. I don't think anybody has, you know, true data as to anything in archery. There's, there's almost no empirical evidence of anything. I'll just let your comments stand because I'm not going to get into the fact that there is some, but. Well, can someone really say? No. This 420 spine will totally outshoot this 380 spine out of no. this bow. No, because you don't distance. have all the variables measured. There's, yeah, it's too hard to measure it. So, If you have enough of the variables measured, I will tell you that, yes, you can quantify this stuff for an individual. However, the amount of measurement required. For an individual and each individual bow. Yes. You I, can't say it in general. I will not argue your point because you're right. absolutely right, particularly when you're talking about compound power strokes. Mm -hmm. Shannon, um, Steve and I have both heard the same story from many different shooters. Weaker works better, stiffer works better. D. Wild told me years ago, you know, stiffer is always better. And I've heard from other shooters, 
including Butch Johnson, who was in his own right a pretty fair compound shooter, putting it very mildly, uh, that he preferred a slightly weak setup. So, and, and Jesse, you know, you can't argue mm-hmm. with Jesse. There's no point to arguing about it. Whatever works for you is what is yeah. going to work. That's the thing. I mean, it's the, the number on the side of the arrow is, is literally screened on there. The number on the scoreboard is put on there. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But the number that's screened on the arrow is a reference point. You know, it's oh, yeah. the actual spine value, on an eastern arrow anyway, the actual spine value. And as well, a result, no doubt about that, you know. Well, that way you know each arrow in your in your in your quiver is the same. Well, right? Yeah, My, so. what I'm saying when I when I say that is, it doesn't matter, right? If you're shooting a 420, 380, 340, right. whatever, right? And in fact, your characterization, Shannon, of the thing being somewhat weak or somewhat stiff, may depend on what method of tuning you're using, or bow, or your bow, or your or your perception of of how you're shooting, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Point is, if it works, it works. Can't argue you with know, results. Generally, a, a population of archers will find that one particular bow tends to shoot better with weak or stiff according to you know going away from from what a chart would say but my my opinion always start with the chart and work from there and and do so with the limb bolts first oh yeah limb bolts are the pop the powerful tool that you have at your disposal for making small adjustments that can make big changes on your tune Rahafazan, uh, our regular listener, congratulating you for your outdoor season, Steve, and um, got a question for both of us. It says, because it's often recommended to start with cheaper or decent equipment to learn the basics before spending more on the high-end setups, how to identify whether the archer already outgrew his or her setup and more advanced stuff is required to go further? In other words, is the equipment holding them back instead of their ability? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my honest opinion, and I'll leave it for Steve's opinion as well because you're you're just going to get honesty from us i'm not in the business of trying to sell stuff to people it's not my it's not why i'm in archery it's not why it's not what i enjoy look if you've got if you're lucky enough to have a coach and you trust your coach let your coach decide whether it's a good idea or not to upgrade your equipment now i know i'm going to get pushback on this from steve because he's his own coach but i'm just saying for my personal experience when my coach told me back in the day that, hey, you know what? You've gotten to this point. You can earn a few more points by doing this. I listened and I applied it. And you know what? As often as not is when you throw a new piece of equipment on there, you get one of two things. You either, you either drop your score or you end up shooting a much higher score than normal because of other factors that are mental. And then, you know, you kind of settle back into some other number. There's two things that I've personally experienced that have an effect on score that are equipment related. And one of them is strings. If you've got the right string with the right twist count and right brace height, you're going to pick up some points. And then, you know, the other one is arrows. The higher quality your arrows, the better. Because quite frankly, bows, as long as you're working within a certain reasonable temperature range, they're going to shoot the same. It's the consistency of your arrows the quality of your knocks matters a ton, by the way. And 95% of it is you. 95% of it is not your stuff. It's you. It's how consistently you shoot the shot. So, you know, I can hand a third-rate, you know, Korean-made bow to a really good shooter, and they'll still spank anybody because they've got a good shot, and that's what matters. So my attitude is... Um, we are terrible judges of whether we're good enough for a new piece of equipment. 
if it makes you happy to buy something, I'm not going to stop you. Mm -hmm. But I'd certainly go consult my coach before I went and changed something. Yeah, my uh, personal approach to anything is if I like it, if I'm going to do it, I'm probably going to go all in. Because I've usually found if I like something, if I'm going to do something, I'll end up all in at some point. So why mess around in the middle? Why spend twice? Yeah, buy nicer, buy nicer, buy twice. So I... uh, That gets expensive in some sports. Yeah, yeah. I could buy... I could buy three Toyota 86s for the price of one different 911. <laughs> much different hobby than what we're working with here. Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying. Yeah. Automobile racing aside, um, no, in, uh, in our sport, at least, you know, the price differences aren't nearly as dramatic as in, in car racing. No, our, like we, that, we, so. folks, let's back up. We got a cheap sport here. <laughs> Uh, do you even want to know how much I've spent over the years on ammo? Just yeah. just pistol ammunition? Yeah, stuff. And that's not, you know, we don't say that as uh, taking it lightly that X10s cost what they cost. No, no, no. I'm not else. taking that lightly yeah. at all. But 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 I will point out, it's you can sport. shoot the cost of a dozen X10s in one weekend in any firearms-related discipline. Yeah, you were saying the other day you just spent four or 500 bucks on ammo to go to to go to some uh, tournament, right? Yeah, I've got a competition in Arizona for next one month for one weekend, and I've spent just on ammunition. Yeah, close to five hundred dollars. Yeah, imagine if every time I headed down to uh, you know whatever tournament I'm going to, you I had, had to, to go buy a dozen new pro tours. Yeah, five hundred bucks on arrows yeah. every single time. No, so arrows are a great value if you look at them from the standpoint of the shot longevity. Yeah, the, the per shot price gets cheaper and cheaper until it doesn't. Um, so my my opinion is if I'm going to do it, I'm going to, I'm going to do it all the way. Um, realizing not everybody is that way, you know, there, and, and I didn't necessarily get there fast either in archery. You don't know if you're going to really be doing it to a certain extent. You might like when I was just a, shooting around the club and things like that, I probably tried to save some money here and there on some stuff. And, and then as I decided I wanted to make some teams and do things like that, uh, I started spending cash for premium products and bought my first X10s and, and, and things like that. So I will say to reflect what George said, the arrows make the biggest difference. Um, you know, if you're going to shoot target archery, there's not a whole lot for mid-level target bows. It's really entry level and hunting and then there's target, you know, full blown. There, there's some stuff kind of in the middle, but it doesn't seem like people meddle with that. They go either starter bow or all in. So, yeah, arrows, well, and, though, and arrows unless, you can you can get a mid level price point pretty yeah, easily. Sure. I mean, you know, let's face it. You can if you have a certain degree of skill, you're going to get similar results from similar price point products. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say carbon one versus ACG, right? Your average person out there isn't going to be able to detect any accuracy difference between those two, even though there are some spec differences and weight differences and stuff. Yeah. They might happen on one that tunes better. Presuming you've got the right tune. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. They, they, yeah. You could take some that are identical and think that, oh, they're going to be the same. And they just end up tuning slightly different. And, it works and that's because the the, if the weight's not the same, the tune will not be the same. And it's the same. It could go the other way. I've seen people who... You know, they might be shooting an arrow like the Carbon One. They put on some X10s expecting magic. 
and they need to retune their bow and they don't and doesn't go so well and they think what the heck you know so you but that's that's not an arrow fault yeah uh, if you go to our Facebook page, Easton uh, Target Archery, um, you'll see a number of questions that we've received, and we don't have enough information to answer all of them, including um, a good question from Sarah. But Sarah, in order to answer your question, we need some more information. Um, you know, what kind of bow and and what kind of grip and all that sort of thing. So um, we'll we'll give it a shot next show if you can just give us a little more info. David is asking. Uh, he says he wants to use the indoor season to increase his bow poundage from 53 to 58 pounds. Uh, ready for next year's outdoor season. Is it best to do this gradually or in one go, given it's only a five-pound difference? Well, it's not a five-pound difference. At holding, it's, what is it, on a podium X? Uh, well, you're talking 60, 65% of Yeah, so pounds, it's it's so a couple pounds, you know. It's not pounds. that much. And um, three arrow ends instead of six arrow ends. I, I think... Your question, David, is um, how many turns would you need to put on the limb adjustment bolt to make that change? We don't know what your preload is. So I don't know if we can answer that. Yeah, the the rule of thumb is one turn is about two to three pounds. If you have the turns available, then that should take care of you. Yeah, I mean, you're going to be looking at probably a, a one and a half to two turns would, would cover that five pounds. David is asking, um, another David, um, does an arrow slow before apogee and accelerate after apogee, or are the angles we deal with not sufficient to see the difference? You know Pretty what apogee much, is? I do not. Uh, the high point of the flight path is what he's trying to get at. But Okay. Um, the truth is, a arrow slows down all the way from launch. So, you know, it's constantly decelerating. And if your question is, is it accelerating a little bit compared to its, de- in other words, is it decelerating slightly less? as it's angling in toward the target, uh, not enough to worry about. Uh, do we wind tunnel test arrows to determine gra- drag coefficients, or am I just being a crazy engineer dreaming of over-engineering? Uh, the answer to both is yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not to be cheeky about it, David. It's a good question. Yeah, we do wind tunnel testing. Um, all of us engineers are crazy about uh, thinking about this stuff, and... You just don't need to worry about it that much, to be honest. Andy, uh, our friend in Oz, says, maybe if you miss while Poppin' Jay shooting, your arrow might accelerate after the apex. He's, <laughs> he's, not, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> Poppin' Jay, for those who don't know, is a game shot at fake birds on power lines, I guess you would say. Kind of. Yeah. With a, You're shooting straight up, pretty with much. With a flu-flu type arrow. Yeah. yeah. And, and drinking's involved. So yeah. it's a Belgian thing. Uh, Sam, what's your rule of thumb for the initial cut for length of new arrow shafts for a target setup? Not worried about broadheads. Knowing the spine might be a factor for tuning, would you use the same rule of shooting 23 size and up arrows for 3D? Because he says usually those are heavily overspined even with 130 grade points. Hey, Sam, um, as Steve likes to say, what is it that you say? What's your pet phrase on this? I can't remember. Whatever it's, you can cut from either end. Just don't cut it from the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can no. cut from the front. You can cut from the back. Just don't cut from the middle. Yeah, there you go. No, uh, Sam. Seriously, um, <laughs> leave them longer and work your way down. You know, because it's it's hard to put stuff back on. Yeah, if you're worried about it, start long. Also, if you're just starting out, uh, if you're a shooter who's just starting out, odds are your draw length might change, increasing, um, and so you might want to leave a little extra. Yeah, I think there. our our actual tuning guide recommends one inch of overhang in front of the shelf or in front of the burger hole 
assuming you have a properly spined arrow, something like that. So it, it kind of, I mean, your length is obviously going to depend on what arrow you're shooting, but uh, yeah. I'm grateful for all the questions we got, but some of them don't have enough detail for us to really give you a proper answer. Therefore, we're going to make stuff up. For example, Braden is asking, uh, click or no click and why? Are you shooting a compound or a recurve? Let's say that you're shooting a recurve and you have a sight on there. Yeah, a clicker. And why? Uh, you'll learn why if you don't shoot with one. And what about for you guys shooting I'm assuming a back he's talking about. I don't, I'm not going to assume. I can't tell. I will assume. Okay, go ahead. So answer yeah. it. Click with your no assumption. Why? It just depends on what you want. I mean, there's a lot of ways to go about a hinge release. You can either draw, anchor, rotate to click, and then execute the shot. Or you can draw, anchor, set it nice and slow, and just slowly continue to rotate. You know, I've seen seen Braden Galantine do it that way, where he just has the release extremely slow, and he just keeps turning it consciously. You know, and it can it can work either way. And if I'm struggling with one, I might try the other one for a period of time. I keep a four finger release handy, where I do have it extremely slow, no click, and I just turn through it. Do that about three shots, and I'm good to go back to my regular method. All right. Matt is asking the question at a high level, how much and in what ways would using a hunting bow, like a Hoyt Defiant 34 versus a target bow, like a podium handicap a shooter? Um, I'll, I'll give you a quick answer. The hunting bow is made to be quiet with relatively low recoil and it will not give you the feedback. Yeah, we were talking about this at lunch today. Yeah, we were, as a matter of fact. It will not give you the feedback or necessarily the follow through that you're looking for as a target shooter. But yep. if you have the... The fortitude, you can certainly score highly with, with a hunting bow. Right. There's nothing wrong with a parallel-limbed bow or a past parallel-limbed bow either. Um, they'll shoot well. What I have found is on a, a non-parallel-limbed bow, something more like my Prevail or even just longer bows in general, they tend to want to push towards the target because the, the limbs are wanting to move that direction from uh from the you know full draw back to brace whereas the parallel limbos the, the limbs don't necessarily want to move forward they want to move up and down so you have a bit of a directional change and uh, that can just create a different feeling they cancel each other out basically yeah right, right. whereas instead of, so instead of pushing forward like you know an upright compound or a recurve or most any target bow right these days yeah I mean, you still have some, some like a PSC 40-inch target bow with past parallel limbs, but they're long enough that I don't think it quite functions the same. It's hard to say. Yeah. Never shot one. But uh, that's my thought is is the, the directional force of an upright limb target bow is a little more ideal for aiming in the wind and shooting under pressure. The other thing you're missing out on is when you're shooting a hunting bow that's quiet, you know, and they are all engineered to be quiet these days. I, think, I don't think any manufacturer makes a loud hunting bow anymore. Not on purpose. <clears throat> I think that you're going to lose out on some of the noise feedback that you get, which tells you the difference between a good shot and a bad shot. Yeah. All that stuff adds up when you shoot many, many arrows. Kafir Bahar um, on our Facebook page has this charming photo of himself wearing a red, a green fez. Did you see that? He's wearing a green fez. It's awesome. Pull it up. Anyway, during the women's recurve broadcast, I guess you were uh, commentating for, uh, for Archery TV, Steve. 
You mentioned that when you're behind, you do something stupid seemingly to let yourself relaxed. And he'd like to know if you'd consider sharing that something stupid. Oh, you might just make a joke to, you know, whoever's in your coach's box or say something dumb to somebody in the crowd, you know, just kind of take the edge off of the fact that yes, you're, you're shooting a match, but change your mental focus. The real world is still right there next to you, you know? Yeah. Good. So like when you're podcasting and some guy drives by, Throwing rocks on, on your leaf, truck. A riding leaf blower. Throwing rocks on your shiny new truck. Never seen anything like it. Well, at least you didn't get up and run out there and, you know, whatever. Could have been ugly. <laughs> Could have been on the news tonight. Uh, Mika is uh, saying, congratulations on a hell of a year, Big Cat. Does the aggressiveness of a cam require a stiffer arrow? Uh, I can answer this. Yes. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a more aggressive cam, you do need a stiffer arrow. And the chart accounts for that. The yep. lookup chart on the Easton website or any but any manufacturer's website, pretty much. Uh, Paul, what hinge do you shoot, Steve, and where would we find it? Yeah, that got answered, actually, to Paul. It's yeah, Arc but, System, a French-made release. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. So you can get those uh, in France. <laughs> yeah, they don't sell outside the uh, outside uh, I, Yeah, I mean, I don't know how easy they are to attain over here. I know there's a lot of European dealers who will ship over here. If you think that it's a good item, maybe you could ask Lancaster and see if Lancaster can get one in. I think they can. You know? Those guys have some some reach overseas. They could probably work something out. Daniel, uh, what's your recipe for your new 2318s? This is Daniel Foley. Your friend from Ireland. Good lad from Ireland. Don't uh, don't try to go on the circuit with that accent, though. I'm gonna leave it at that. Uh, no, I, Daniel, I don't I don't know yet. I haven't tried them yet. I'm thinking I'm probably gonna build them same length as I do my 2712, and I'm, I'm imagining I'll end up which is 31 inches. I'm imagining I'll end up with 200 to 250 grain points. 250 is what I run in my 2712, but they are slightly stiffer uh, than the 2318, so 200 might be the uh, the good balance. I don't know. I don't know yet. Might be. We're uh, we're making might have a, its own uh, own recipe. We're making a 200 grain point for that, but Rod Menzer is going to have other weights available. Yeah, he he's competition built archery products. Yep. So I'm I'm supposed to be the guinea pig who goes and figures out what everyone should use, and then he'll know what to forecast. Yeah. So I've got him on my desk. I just got to get through. This never-ending outdoor season. Oh, I'll bet they look good. You know, I've had years where I was building up an indoor bow right now, and I've got people overseas who are doing that. You know, I got a lot, of, a lot of messages about people getting prepped with uh, wanting the twenty-three eighteens and, and looking for info. They're building an indoor bow. Seems, seems early, but no, you know, I it's a lot noticeable. of outdoor seasons have ended for people. Yeah, very much so, especially, um, especially if you're. In a more northern climate, you know, I'm sure that uh, it's getting more chilly in the evenings and your attention is starting to turn towards shooting indoors. It's uh, next four or five months for a lot of folks. Yeah, well, if you have no tournaments coming up, you know, what is there to practice for outdoors? Josh is asking, on spine selection, is it better to go a little higher and tune it down with point weight when there are multiple spine choices? Um, I think it's better to pick the right spine and make your fine adjustment with your bow weight personally Steve's nodding which doesn't carry well on a podcast but I can give carried you well enough that play you by play. told everybody there you go see it's play by play <laughs> Ryan hey Steve and Mr. T just a quick question about a Mr. Blade. T yes 
Just a new quick, name for you. Old name, just uh, hasn't been around for a while. Um, old name for me to bring up in the office. That's it. Uh, <clears throat> that's what everybody in Van Nuys used to call me. Except Jim. Jim didn't call me that. Have you seen the Seinfeld episode where George wants to be called T-Bone? No. And instead they call him Coco the Monkey? Strangely appropriate. <laughs> so, Ryan, um, just a quick question about a blade issue. He's shooting Pro Tour 420 with skinny blades. He was shooting narrow best blades and switched to bright sight narrows. Uh, both 10 thou blades, uh, 371 grain arrow, uh, 27 and a half inch draw. 55 pounds, micro-adjust DS advantage rest. He's broken five blades, all set at 35 degrees or so, but no higher than 40. The best brand blades were shearing off at the base above the mount area. The bright sides have been bending. He wants to switch to the LaunchTech composites to test for a while. Uh, you got something wrong, right? Something on his knock travel and his bow. Something is no bueno. It's He's got to have a serious vertical knock travel. It's just mobbing the blade really yeah. hard. But, you know, part of the problem is we don't know anything about your bow because we don't have the info in the question here. So if you could follow up with a little more information about your bow, cam timing, stuff like that, we might be able to answer this for you on yeah, Facebook. Yeah, if he can find someone with a, a slow motion camera, he'll he'll know right away. Here's a very good point Yeah, yep. because you'll know what it's doing. Tanya is asking this question. <clears throat> Tanya from Cyprus, I believe. Uh, congratulations, by the way, Steve, for your archery competition results all year. Her question is, any news for compounds at the Olympics? We could do a whole show on this. I haven't heard anything. Uh, there's nothing new. Uh, and there probably won't be until after Tokyo. Yeah, I'll be, yeah. Right now, world archery is focused on getting ready for 2020. Nobody is, nobody is particularly working on compounds right now as far as we know, which could mean nothing because we don't, we don't talk to everybody at world archery every day. But to the best of our knowledge, no, it's not actively being pursued right this moment. You know, my thoughts are it's not going to come from uh, a governing body politicking for it. It's going to come from one of the host cities selecting it as one of their demo events. Well, that pretty much means not a chance in... Yeah. Yeah. So um, Mark is asking uh, me, what fletch do I recommend for indoor shooting on AC Navigators recurve 42 pounds off the fingers? Uh, Mark, set yourself up with a nice set of three or four inch feathers for indoor. Mm -hmm. Dwayne, Steve, you had a spectacular year. What was the highest high? Uh, oh, man. That is a good question. You know, maybe... Uh, Redding? I hate Redding. It was on your bucket list. Yeah. It's always been a pain in my butt, um, and I always get sick there. I, you know, the one I think, and I expected to win too. The one that I think was my highest high was try not to laugh <laughs> was uh, NFA indoors, simply because it takes a lot to make that shoot off. Um, Even more than Vegas indoors. Well, yeah, you got an extra thirty arrows at the same size target. So winning that NFA indoor up against Stefan Hansen, by the way. Yeah, I'd that say was, that that was probably the one just because I went in, I executed some of the best shots of my life under pressure. That's a totally understandable. Um, Martin is asking, oh, sorry, there's one more follow-up from Dwayne. Uh, what would you do differently next year? <sighs> Shoot less events. <laughs> 
Oh, man. No, I, I don't know. I think. You've got another world field. you got to defend your title. Yeah, you know, the hardest part about that is probably making our team. Mm-hmm. So that's first and foremost. And it's uh, the trials are at Darrington. Yeah. I think, what would I do differently next year? You know, I don't know. I, I think I've set this year up how I wanted it to where you're, I, don't, I don't think anybody, very few people, consistently shoot their best throughout the year just because you get burnt or you lack motivation or whatever. And uh, I've kind of timed this year to where I can finish it strong. I, I didn't burn myself out too bad. So you know, I don't know if I would change anything or do anything differently. Um, I would make one one better shot at Vegas if I could do anything differently. My final arrow at Vegas, I'd, have, I'd just put that one in the X ring and continue on. Have you learned anything about traveling uh, over the course of this year, the amount of travel you've been doing? Not really. Traveling to tournaments? You know, nothing I uh, wasn't aware of prior. Yeah. Well, just a, looking for some looking for some 411 here, man, you know, <laughs> trying to see if there's something else we can get out of that. Um, let's see here. Martin's asking what? Another good lad from Ireland. Martin Cunningham. With regard to recurve, where does Easton recommend to place the center shot of an arrow? Depends on what is, uh, which arrow, Martin. Um, by the book, if you're a right-handed shooter, have the arrow peek out from the left side of the string if it is a parallel design arrow. If it is an X10 and it is mm. stiffer than about a 550, you actually want to run it a little more down the middle. Then you use your walk-back tuning to determine whether you have it in the right spot or not. Ryan is asking, if you switch from a hinge to a button, does your point of impact change? kind of depends on what releases you're using and individuals, honestly, and how you anchor and all that. Um, everybody, you know, that's always the, the thing. They pull a hinge out of their release bag, and then they pull their button out. And someone, you, you know, inevitably they get asked, oh, do they hit the same spot? No, this one I got to move it about four clicks left or whatever. So... Uh, it's good. just going to depend and you'll find some that do and some that don't, and you might like the one that doesn't. So just got to figure it out and, and map it out. Ryan, uh, also wants to know what adjustments you do make if, if any, and I think, uh, I think you covered it. Mm-hmm. Rick. Hi, Stephen George with indoor season upon us in the UK for average club compound shooters, which he defines as about a five fifty on a Portsmouth round. Is it worth shooting? Uh, that would be a feed uh, you know, 18 meter indoor round, I guess, or similar. Is it worth shooting a three spot face when shooting skinny arrows? Rick, I'm going to say that if you are, if you're questioning that, the answer is go ahead and shoot the single spot with skinny arrows. Um, shoot the singles, shoot the single face if, if it is even an issue in your mind because you're going to get worked up about it and it's easier to relax and execute a shot. Yeah, you're going to get some kiss outs occasionally and when you start doing that you'll know you're ready to go to your three spot um your thoughts being a three spot adds additional complexities with regards to stance eh, not enough to worry about especially if it's a vertical um also is it worth the additional complexity of switching to 23 diameter arrows or just stick with your outdoor setup um i would stick with my outdoor setup if i could shoot on foam targets if i'm shooting indoors on stramit or on some of those uh 16th century target butts you folks in the UK seem to enjoy. I might switch to aluminums. Yeah, I noticed he says he's a compound shooter. So personally, I would uh, I would put some aluminums on there. How did I miss that? Where does it say? Com- oh, there it is. Club compound shooters. Yeah. Okay. 
So my 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 excuse is I didn't see the word compound. I apologize for that. Recurve shooters, any of you that just listened to that, I stand by that statement. However, for Rick, I would uh, mm-hmm. I would switch to a three spot, go to aluminums. So okay, next guy is asking in the follow up about sunglasses, what tint do you like? Yellow, blue, etc. Well, since you don't like them. I'm going to say it depends on the conditions. If you're in severe overcast, I like a persimmon lens, you know, yellow-ish lens. It'll expand the contrast. Uh, if I'm in if I'm in uh, bright sunshine, I like a neutral gray, so I don't make a big difference to the colors around. When I have looked through them, I really did like the look of the the target face through a blue lens. Really accentuated the yellow away from the red. Sammy is asking um, what to do about bow hand wrist injuries. Are they common and what do you do with them? You know, I don't know if wrist injuries are common. Uh, elbow injuries probably are more common. Um, the old thinking on this is rice, rest, you know, and compression and ice and elevation. But I honestly don't know, um, Sammy, uh, what to do about wrist injuries because I'm not familiar with anybody that really has experienced those in archery. Steve, any thoughts? Um, no, I've broke my left wrist three times, but never. The only times I ever have issues with with pain there is after golfing. <laughs> so I try not to golf before uh, before archery too much. Um, that's usually when I'm first starting back into the golfing. You know, I just realized though, back in I'm thinking 1989, I had a very serious problem with my bowhand wrist. I just realized, I just remembered. And um, a good friend of mine who was an orthopedic surgeon um, wrote me a prescription for a, for a early non-steroidal anti-inflammatory called Voltaren, um, which you know was one of the first times that that was available. It's uh, diclofenac. It cured mm-hmm. it like overnight, fixed it, boom. Right. It was great stuff. But um, yeah, Sammy, I'm sorry, we're, we're not... Uh, we're not qualified to answer that. Sean uh, is recommending that we get Braden Gallantine on the phone and have a good old time. What do you say? Let's do it. So just like that, here's Braden Gallantine on the phone, Steve. Braden, congratulations. What an accomplishment. Just a tremendous yep. tremendous effort out there. This has been a heck of a year for you. Can you can you recap your year for us? Just just kind of you know, in a in a sort of uh, digest manner? Sure. Uh, the indoor season started off amazing. Um, I made a podium at my first event in Iowa. Uh, after that, the indoor season kind of it started off a little bit rocky, but um, gained a lot of confidence towards the end of the season and made the shoot down in, uh, at NFA Nationals in Cincinnati, where I got to see Steve take it down, which was uh, an incredible start to the uh, indoor season for him. And then after that, we went outdoors and things really started to come together. Um, we went down to Mexico. Um, got a great handle on which Matthews bows I need to shoot and which Easton arrows were going to fit me best. And then we went to um, Florida for Gator Cup, ended up taking second there. From there we went to Turkey where I podiumed at my first uh, World Cup of the year. Salt Lake didn't really work out, but uh, Berlin I was able to podium again and qualified for the World Cup final and things worked out. Um, 
form is feeling great. I'm feeling really calm mentally, and I'm shooting shots like I haven't done in about 10 years. So I'm pretty excited for the rest of this outdoor season, the World Championships, and have a lot of confidence going into the indoor season. Yeah, it kind of feels like uh, you are where you were about 10 to 12 years ago when you were coming on the scene. And, you know, you've been in the World Cup since the beginning. Um, you know, I remember meeting your dad in Dubai, and we were trading stories, and you know, that, that goes back a ways. So what's maybe express what it is that has changed for you this year or what are you doing differently this year that might have led to this uh, breakthrough? I think I've spent a lot more focus on my mental, my mental approach to archery and that's translated into a higher intensity in practice, which really brought me back to the confidence that I had when I was younger. Um, back when I didn't have fear, when I didn't know it, I've gotten to a point where I'm okay with that fear. I've accepted it and I've been able to train a little bit more effectively in ways that allow me to overcome it. And that's obviously the fundamental key to success is overcoming fear because fear is what keeps us from performing at the same level that we can perform at in practice. huh? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Any specific program that you've been working on or has it just been a self uh, coaching thing or what's the... What's the Braden Galantine plan? How are you doing? Well, uh, a few years ago, I, I went to see a sports psychologist, and I learned a lot of tools and a lot of um, strategies to cope with it. Uh, the biggest thing is going through a mental rehearsal of the event beforehand and trying to put myself in that situation where uh, you know negative thoughts or self-doubt may creep in and learning the thoughts, the, the key words that, that kind of trigger those emotions and creating a game plan to deal with it ahead of time. So no matter what happens, I I have a plan to deal with it. So some visualization coming into play as well? Exactly. Uh, When I train in practice, it's mostly visualization. I shot that first arrow against PJ probably 100 times in practice leading up to the event. Yeah, mentally. And, um, you know, we've talked about this before with other guests and, and people like Jay Bars, you know, who maybe was one of the first guys to really popularize the notion of visualizing what was going on, all the way down to even smelling what the grass might have smelled like at the at the venue, and then using that as a tool in practice to accommodate the subconscious and get it uh, sort of acclimatized to the pressure. Right. Um, I've got a lot of experience shooting at the World Cup final and and the pressure and what the and I know what the venue is going to look like just because the the World Cup and the World Archery event. Uh, finals venues, they definitely have a similar feel from event to event, despite, you know, being in different locations. The clock's in the same place, the target's in the same place, 50 meters is 50 meters. So I'm able to get a, you know, really realistic visualization of the event. And then beyond that, it's just, like you said, mental um, awareness and mental preparation to deal with the the pressures and the stress. Clearly you've, uh, you know, performed at a high level, no matter what the distance is, but how are you feeling about 50 meters as a competition round these days with, with compound? Do you feel like Steve does that maybe it needs to be stretched out a little bit to help separate uh, things a little more clearly? I would love to see this game pushed back to 70 meters on the 80 centimeter face and, and just see what happens with competition. I feel like it's going to polarize the top archers from the um, guys who are you know just coming up, but I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing on a world, world stage. Uh, 50 meters is, yeah, it's, it's a little, it's a little simple for us. So basically the same target, but stretch it out of 20 meters. 
60 or 70 meters, either one, 10, 20 meters, I, I really think that would open up the game. Well, you can make an argument that it's less field time, but less time setting up the field and less effort to try to make everything work. Sure. Um, it doesn't, I, I don't think it would change the actual setup of the field or, you know, anything that World Archery has to do. It would be a really simple thing. And like I said, it would, it would definitely make the competition a lot more interesting. Uh, you wouldn't see as many 150s out there. You wouldn't see, and, and, and a bad shot wouldn't be, you know, a line or 10. It, it, the red would be in play. Right. And what, you know, Braden, what I've said is, you know, a two point lead going into the, final end of a elimination match wouldn't be what it is today right now it's basically a, you're, you're done it's a death sentence but a two-point lead right. would be uh would you'd be able to overcome that right that's one arrow yeah exactly so it, it's uh one arrow it could it could swing it from your a two-point deficit to even a, a one-point lead you know it uh we see that today sometimes where you're trailing by one guy shoots an eight now you're leading by one but it, it's rare and and it would i just i just in my head think it would help the the cream rise to the top and and uh get rid of some of the um i guess you'd call it maybe parody that we have in the game today i couldn't agree with you more i think you'd also find it might be a more interesting presentation uh, not that you guys are doing anything boring but i think if they really want to make this televisable and they want to make this interesting for non shall we say uh non-endemic uh supporters people who you know aren't involved in archery who might look at this thing quite frankly i think if we try to put our our civilian hats on it kind of looks like you guys are just pounding the middle all the time and i'm not sure that everybody uh out there appreciates what it actually takes to do that because it's all in your head you know right i mean uh Baseball wouldn't be excited if it wouldn't be as exciting if you know a batter stepped up and hit a home run every time. You know, uh, it would start getting. I, I really exactly. Yeah, it'd be like watching uh, those beer league softball competitions that they put on when there's nothing else to put on on ESPN, where guys are just pounding it out, and then eventually they say like, "Hey, you, uh, you can't hit more than three home runs in an inning." You know, it'd be one of those situations. So what's uh, what's the training plan for Braden Galantine going forward right now at this time of year? Uh, the focus is on a Texas shootout in two weeks. Um, our our qualification for the World Cup team for the U.S. is you know still in the balance, and uh, we need we need to collect points and then stay at the top of our game the whole way through. Uh, after that, I've got the World Championships um, in Mexico City, where Steve, Chris Schaff, and myself will be representing the U.S. Um, so. My focus is on those two events before going indoors and then starting uh, the whole season over at square one, you know? <laughs> yeah, sure. But it's a whole new season, so right. that's uh, that's pretty cool. The um, uh, You know, obviously our hearts go out to all of our friends in Texas who've been dealing with this uh, tragic situation in Houston. And, uh, you know, we just got news this morning of what happened in Mexico. So hopefully, uh, hopefully everything's in good order by the time you've got to go down there and, and shoot. Yeah, definitely. I, I can't um, I can't imagine what they're going through, but I, like you said, I wish, wish them the the best in their recovery and hope things um, get back to normal as soon as possible. Absolutely. Well, Braden Galantine cannot tell you how happy we are for you and your success and uh, more of it this season with you and Steve and Chris headed down to represent the United States at uh, the World Championships in, what is it, about five weeks from now? Something like that. So Right. We leave October 13th. 
So, uh, you know, just appreciate the time you took to uh, inform our listeners, and we'll look forward to continuing to follow you on the circuit, Braid. Thank you so much, George. It's great to great to be here. Thanks. Absolutely, always a great time to talk to our friend uh, Braden. Great guy. He's been having a good year. Yeah, he's really uh, he's had a consistent outdoor season. Yeah, and his you know he's he's matured a little bit in some ways. Maybe it's the gray in his beard. That could be. All right. Uh, a couple more questions before we wrap up the show. Uh, has Big Cat ever tried full bores for indoors? Craig wants to know. Any recipes? Craig has a 30-inch straw. Yeah, I shot the the full bore 270, um, I don't know, 2015 in Vegas. Yeah, they worked well. Shot a 899, 82Xs, had a 30X game. Same year Sergio Pagni won? Uh, yeah, might have been that year. Yeah. No, it was a year prior. Oh, okay. And yeah. Sergio won the year after with full bores. Yeah, yeah. Sergio won in 2016. Yeah. What's so, uh, what's Sergio's recipe for the full bores? Do you happen to know? I have no idea. Okay. Um, I used 200 and 250 grain. Draw. Yeah. He used he used the full bore 350, which uh, I think the 270 is the the ideal arrow of choice. So you know that 270 is uh, actually uh, the predecessor, or I should say the the progenitor of the SuperDrive technology. It's actually built right. with SuperDrive technology. Yeah, it was the first SuperDrive. Yeah. Just got named wrong. Yeah. Well, it came out at a time when, when full bore was out. So anyway, uh, Gabriella is asking. Um, Gabriella shoots a Matthews Avail. She's got a 23 and a half inch draw and a 30 and a half inch draw uh, weight. She shoots carbon one 1150s, which are 24 inches end to end. Up to 30 meters, she says, they shoot great. What arrow would you recommend for 60 yards? Benefits of X10 versus ACE. Well, first off, maybe I would try continuing with my carbon ones. Maybe take the fletching down to whatever you can get away with minimal size-wise and shoot that for a while because for 60 yards, the arrow should perform just fine. With the uh, In the context of what you're doing at your draw length and your weight, um, X10s versus ACEs, I think an ACE might be a better choice with a little more point weight for that kind of setup, personally. Any thoughts? Yeah, at that you know, light of a spine, ACE is pretty darn small diameter, too. It's just uh, not quite the mass weight, but I, that might be the, the better idea. It might be one of those situations, though, where a little more point weight will help. And, yeah. Yep. You know. But I'm not sure I would switch away from the Carbon 1. I think maybe, uh, maybe that Carbon 1, if it's working for you at – at 30 meters, it should work well for you at 60. As long yeah, as you don't find give yourself it a out. Run. I mean, if you find yourself out in a roaring wind, Gabriella, with a 23 and a half inch draw and, and uh, you know, basically a 30 pound draw weight, I would just go with execution. Shoot a good, strong shot. Don't hesitate. And you'll find better grouping than anything can do arrow wise, to be honest. George is asking um, for a good 20, X23 setup. He's shooting a Pro Comp Elite FX and uh, X2315 right now, full length, 100 grain point, AAE Max Stealth Veins. Um, George, you already have a good setup. My yeah, you might, you might try a, a heavier point and uh, maybe reducing the length a bit. I would start with a heavier point and then work your way down maybe. 
The yeah. nice thing about aluminum. He doesn't mention his draw length or weight. That's correct. the only thing we don't have to work with. Yeah, which does make it tough to answer questions about setups in particular. So that's why you get the short answer. But the truth is that, you know, it's um, it's going to work. But a little more point weight might work just a bit better. Hey, you know we're giving away uh, a dozen X23s or X27s if the lucky winner happens to choose those. And we had Jay Jensen go into our Facebook followers uh, and pick out a name at random. It's already done. I have it right here. Well, nice. So we can announce it. And our our winner is Craig Sh- uh, Skoll. Or Scully. Yeah, Craig Scully. S-C-H-O-L-E? S-C-H-O-L-L-E. Uh, so it's probably Skoll. So Craig, I'm going to call him Scoye. Okay, so Craig's from Indiana, according to his Facebook page. So uh, Craig, Craig's a boilermaker. He studied at Purdue. I almost went to Purdue. And um, so Craig, you're the winner of a of a dozen uh, Easton X 23s or X 27s, your choice. And we'll have our uh, our show administrator, producer. And the guy who gets it done behind the scenes, Jay, get a hold of you for uh, winning your your prize. Thanks for thanks for entering. Yeah, thank you. You've got world championships ahead. You got some downtime between now and then. What's your daily plan to get ready? Um, Realizing, of course, that you're working a full time job here at the uh, at ETP. Yeah, I I need to uh, get a, a new bow really dialed in. The silver one, at minimum, needs a new center serving, which uh, it really needs a new set of strings. But a new, you know, put a new center serving on. Now I essentially have a new bow. Anyways, you gotta you gotta restart with everything at that point. I could take a really good measurement and try to get it accurate, but it's never gonna be exactly the same. So I might as well just build a new one, which I have. I just gotta get it tweaked and and uh, work into my liking keep the silver one built as it is it's been a really really good year with it so i'm I'm gonna probably put a peg in the wall and hang it up it's gonna it's gonna live in the office forever so uh, not this office mine but uh yeah so i'll get a new bow built up and just try to really dial in equipment have that all prepared uh, make sure I'm I'm going there with just one thing to worry about, and that's me. I don't have to worry about fletching arrows or, you know, a center serving that might pop at any moment. So that's uh, that's Although number you, one. You do know that you're going to have somewhere between five and seven shooters coming up to you and going, "I didn't bring any arrows. Can you help me out?" No, they're not. No one's going to show up to World Championships without arrows, because if you show up without arrows, you didn't show up. I've seen it before. Well, sorry. <laughs> hey, before we How wrap big up, of a moron do you have to be? Well, some people don't have the circumstances that other people have, so I wouldn't go there necessarily. They had the circumstances to buy a flight. Perhaps. Yeah, you might have a point there. Like, like me personally, that, that's there's a real chicken of the egg scenario here, I guess, and I think it's pretty clear. The arrows come before the flight. Yeah, well, I don't know how you qualify for a world championship without having arrows. Also an issue. 
So there is that. Is there a minimum uh, score for world championship? I don't think there is anymore. I think there used to be. Just for the Olympics, right? Yeah, there is one for the Olympics, but that's mandated by the IOC. I'm pretty sure if it was up to WA, they wouldn't have it. Right. Yeah, I remember uh, last year a few a few archers didn't uh, – they were on the list. They were going, and then they didn't have the minimum qualifying score, and they, they got pulled last minute. WA uh, or, you know, um, uh, even the USAA have gone to some lengths to help – people from developing countries who have never shot those levels of scores to get those scores in before the deadline. Um, starting back in 1996, uh, we had an archer training full-time in San Diego for that exact purpose. And she managed to, uh, she managed to make the minimum score and ended up, you know, shooting in the Olympic games for, for her country in Africa. Yeah. So, I've heard some interesting stories about these minimum qualifying scores and, Things that have been done to achieve them. Oh yeah, well, like like shooting a star feed a tournament with one participant. Well, as long as it's registered. Speaking of registered, um, my understanding is uh, this week we found out that uh, Sarah Lopez' new world record is not being ratified as new world record. Yeah, she had a um, she had a score at a round robin event in Colombia. And it was not registered as a, uh, I should say that the rules require that 15-arrow match to be shot in head-to-head competition, not in the format that it was shot in. And so, Yeah, I, I understand that. Someone might say that's stupid because it's still the same match. It's not. You're not being eliminated if you lose. So there is yeah, less pressure involved. Same. Yeah. And, and Sarah, to her credit, said, well, fine, I'll just have another chance to shoot. I'm, yeah, I'm sure she'll do it she, again. She just, it just didn't bother her at all. But, you know, that, that used to be the men's world record, the score that Sarah has. Uh, I know, the men were never at 11. We went from 10 to 12. I thought Rio was at 11 for a while. He was at 10. So he went right from 10 to 12. He was at 10, and Sarah matched it. And then Rio went to 12. Well, there you go. So impressive shooting from Sarah Lopez, but unfortunately not a new world record. On the other hand, we uh, we did see a new world record for the recurve women, which was a, an impressive score, but not nearly the high score of the men, which tells you that those folks who have an agenda of having men and women shoot at the same time on the same field uh, sh- without a gender differentiation uh, have some <clears throat> distance to make up before that happens. Fair enough. We, before we take off, uh, certainly want to express our sympathy and our, uh, our support for our friends in, in Texas who had to deal with a tremendous natural disaster in the past week and uh, hope for the best for our friends on the east coast of the United States who are facing um, the potential for a devastating uh, weather situation developing there. So uh, we're thinking of you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate all the great questions that we've received. Any closing thoughts before we close this one out? I have no thoughts. Steve has no thoughts because Steve is dealing with some serious jet lag right now. So for myself, George Tekmachov, and Steve the... Big cat. Anderson. <laughs> end of show. I was going to say something. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I don't know. I, I couldn't come up with it. I was going to say something like big thought, Anderson. It would have been dumb. Deep there was, thoughts. Yeah. I had nothing good. Deep thoughts. Let's just stop here. Deep Thoughts with Steve Anderson.